So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the first riot of the Luddites. Then on Tuesday, we unearthed the mad coincidence of the day two different Dennis the Menaces made their comic strip debuts. On Wednesday, the day the Spanish conquered the last Maya kingdom. Thursday was the day Colonel Sanders sued KFC. And on Friday, we recall how Vincent van Gogh's sister-in-law made his name. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to For Formula One's Sake, the only F1 podcast that uses a flatbread for curbs. Is that the best kind of bread? I was thinking a nice focaccia. I mean, if it was a focaccia, they'd bounce off. A flatbread, they'll go right over. Welcome to For Formula One's Sake, the only F1 podcast that wears lederhosen all year round. <laughs> it's not just hosen that's leder, I wear a full leder outfit. Ooh. Welcome to For Formula One's Sake, the only F1 podcast that won't turn in for anybody. I won't. I don't make me, because I bloody won't. Welcome to For Formula One's Sake, the F1 podcast that might have to bring in team orders to stop Phil and Terry hitting each other. Well, I didn't hit him. I'm Giga Ayres, and today, from the sheath near London Bridge, we look back at the Austrian Grand Prix. Last weekend at the Red Bull Ring in Spielberg, we saw curbs, people getting angry about curbs, and the resulting crashes caused by curbs. We saw people getting points they didn't expect to. Along with various tractors, we saw strange and rare examples of Brits not working with their German teammates. But most importantly, we saw George Lucas. That's all to come. With me is a man suffering from seven minutes of vanity. It's Terry Saunders. Hi, everybody. Right, so I'm going on holiday next month. And it's a big holiday. And I've realised I may be with younger people. So I thought I'd better get fit. So I've done, I've downloaded an app called Seven Minute Fitness thing, where every day you got to do seven minutes of a workout. I've done one, and I basically need to go to casualty. I've, <laughs> one I've minute or one session. One session, which I've never sworn more in my life. It was just like because you go every exercise, you go okay, I'm done. Oh, there's another one. It's like the plank, it's side plank. Oh. It's crunches, it's Those running very up good and down. Lots you. of things are good he for me. He was in hospital, so what happened? I wasn't actually in hospital. I was right. just saying it hurts so much, <laughs> I feel I should be in hospital. Oh, okay, so you're Everything a drama aches. queen. I can't, I'm being a drama queen. Okay. I can't walk properly. I feel like I've just been... You know when you've just had a night out and you're sick, and then the next morning your stomach's doing... That's what my stomach feels like the whole time. Oh, wow. I, I feel dehydrated stomach. and ill and... He says with a pint. But I've got some great <laughs> abs going on. Are they, me- are they meant to be there? Um, you know, distended, I think. is Okay. It's great. Oh, I had another driving lesson. Oh, oh, yes. I went up to 30 miles an hour. 30. And, and what was it like? Scary. Yeah. Mildly terrifying. <laughs> um, I haven't done a lesson for like nine months. And the guy was like, oh, you'll be all right. Do you want to just go? And I was like, not really. And he was telling me what to do. It was odd in a way that I didn't have 
any awareness of what was going on around me. I was just following instructions. That's always a good start for <laughs> yeah. driving, yeah. I was just following, he was going, right, uh, this line, brake, go to first gear, and I'm copying and doing all this kind of stuff. And then at one point, he's thinking, you're doing very well. So he says to me, right, now you go, mini roundabout near your house, go there. And I just sail past it. And he's like, you really should have stopped at that one. I was like, oh, sorry, I thought it was fine. There's another one. He went, okay, what are you going to do with this one? I sailed past it. And he got a bit pissed off. And alongside him is a motoring journalist who is back from his exile in wherever it was he went. It's Phil Tromans. Hello, everyone. Hi, Phil. Where have you been? Hello, I'm back. Do you remember how in the last episode I wasn't feeling very well? It's a bit under the weather. You mentioned it quite a few times. Yeah. Um, Well, that that wasn't even the half of it. Really? It got progressively worse after we recorded the last episode um, to the point where I was supposed to go on holiday the following week. And on the day that I was supposed to go on holiday, I was unbelievably ill and couldn't go on holiday. Oh no. So as a result, I managed to recover with the aid of antibiotics and a lot of perfectly legal drugs. Uh, I felt a bit better and it got to the point where I could go on holiday. We were supposed to drive down to the south of France. A journey that we were intending to take over two days. But because we'd lost a day, we had to do it all in one day. So I drove for 16 hours straight, 1,200 kilometers. Ow. And made it and had a very relaxing time, even though I was a little bit um, dying. But Did I must you sail have... past the roundabouts? <laughs> <laughs> I sailed past everything. <laughs> French auto routes, they're great. Um, I must apologise to the listeners, because uh, the last podcast I was on, I think it was Canada. Quite an entertaining race, everything went well. Then I went away. Yes. We had the European Grand Prix, which is incredibly boring. The podcast yep. went ahead without me, with pro- producer Matt appearing calling everybody by their full names. Yep. Britain decided to leave Europe. Yep. All Britain's politicians went completely insane. The government falls apart. Carolina Hearn died, and it appears that Armageddon is nigh. I can't leave you alone for five minutes, can I? All I'm saying is that the European Grand Prix was shit, but it wasn't that shit. <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad yeah. that we decided to literally leave Europe. Well, I'm sorry, everyone, I can't help thinking that this has all been my fault well okay. don't I'm never now leave back. again don't leave again yeah, I never. won't but I'm back the last Grand Prix was brilliant as soon as I came back did you, did you're you, welcome did you by any chance get back into the country on the last lap of the race <laughs> <laughs> he's back hey. well I'm glad you had a good time ish and I'm glad you, you're feeling better now though just about because slight lingering cough so if you hear some distant coughing it's me leaning away from the microphone hocking up a loogie what a professional. Oh, that's nice. So, Chica, what have you been up to? Um, well, this week has been the first week of being 26. Holy OMG. Oh, shit. When was your birthday? Last weekend, thanks oh, for shit. your text. What I like to think about our age differences here right. is that me and Phil are both... So, you're, you've now turned 36. I'm that's now right, 36, So, yes. I've been 36. It's January. Oh. It's miserable. I mean, I am, I think I've said this before, I'm three days older than Jensen Button. Well, you're older than Jensen Button. Yeah, but you're younger than I can though. He's about to retire. So, you know. Or is he? Or is he? But either way, <laughs> he's at the end of his career. And I'm still waiting for mine to get started. So, Cheeky, you're, you're, you're hanging around with us, talking about Formula One. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. But I've got a horrible feeling that when you're 36, yeah. you're going to be an incredibly successful businesswoman with a house. And then like. one day you'll go like, God. <laughs> when they were 36, they were just a couple of losers doing a podcast. <laughs> and then you'll look us up on Facebook and yeah. we'll both be like begging on the street, going, oh, everything went wrong for us. Yeah. Updating your Facebook the podcast. account. We'll, yes. we'll, we'll reflect on Grand Prix for money. Oh, well, you know, you know that I'll, I'll throw you some cash as I wander past. <laughs> 
let's start with the stories you've been talking about in this Listener's Corner. The big talking point from Austria was Hamilton and Rosberg getting far too cosy at Turn 2. Rosberg said he was having brake problems. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. But, but brake problems, but, you know, didn't brake. But still made a decidedly half-assed attempt to turn in. Hamilton said he gave Rosberg loads of room, but he still turned in on him. So, whose fault was it? So, Leighton Brown tweeted us and said, if Nico is going to play dirty, he has to at least have the balls to see it through, not just pull off some limp-wristed, half-assed, blatant moves to try and deny it. Go full Schumacher. I totally agree. The biggest problem with this is is that he did that kind of thing of going, right, do you know what, Lewis? Fuck you. I'm going to go here. And then as soon as it went wrong, he's like, it wasn't me. I didn't do anything. What are you talking about? Oh, how dare you, how dare you suggest I did something? It's him afterwards looking really shocked. So there's an interview where someone says, do you know, you've got to go to the stewards. And he's like, me? <laughs> what? <laughs> what have I done? It must be about a parking infringement. <laughs> oh, this is so unfair. Well, I mean, he didn't quite. He, he, he didn't do full Schumacher, did he? Because when when Schumacher did it back in the nineties, and he did it he a couple a of times. Won a fucking championship. <laughs> well, one well, one time you won a championship. Oh, yeah, I think the other time he got disqualified <laughs> from the entire year, didn't he? Or Whatever like that. details. So it worked on Hill, and it didn't work on Villeneuve. Yes, I, th- I think Leighton's got a point. Rosberg just didn't go hardcore enough. He waited for Hamilton to turn into him. He didn't spear into Hamilton and take him out or bash him on the wheels and break his suspension. He did it all wrong. He knackered his own front wing. In fact, because he knackered his own front wing, it's the equivalent of getting into a fight, punching someone and breaking your knuckles and the guy you've punched just going what? It's like punching him in a completely ineffective, (laughs) like punching the other guy in his forehead or something where it's not going to damage him. So David Wadey said, when Sky asked Lauda his views immediately after it, he was more concerned with blaming Lewis for a second hit when he came back in the circuit. But once the footage was examined, Lewis never actually hit him. I think Lauda has a soft spot for Rosberg. I oh, Really? Well, there, there has been quite a bit of uh, accusations of such favouritism flinging around, isn't it? Of the German or uh, the Austrian... Well, uh, a man favouring the German speaker. I do feel that Lauda used to really favour Hamilton when a couple of years ago, but I think he just feels sorry for Rosberg. I think Rosberg's probably been cry- pity. I think probably he just what likes it is, an underdog. Is on the plane back or on the debrief. Like, like they have the debrief, then they go for a coffee, and I bet Lauda always get Rosberg always sits next to Lauda and starts moaning. So I bet Lauda's just going, I just want to get him off my back. <laughs> Jesus, he's so miserable. He goes on about how miserable he is since he had a baby. He goes on about how the tax rebates aren't as good as they used to be. Hamilton hit him in the arse, all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, I'm just like, lighten up, man. Well, Nick Drake agrees with you. He says, Nico is shite. His dad only won in 82 because of Peroni having his career-ending crash. He will need the same to happen to Hamilton. Well, well. he's not messing about, Nick. Um... Is he offering to kneecap Hamilton there? Is he offering to... I mean, it's not a... Well, I mean, yeah. well, I'm going to stand at Cop's Corner with a hammer, and if, if Hamilton crashes, I'm just going to... Well, we'll be giving our strong opinions on the crash very soon. But first of all, let's talk about the team orders. So in the wake of the crash, a very angry Toto Wolf said Mercedes could bring in team orders to stop their drivers crashing into each other even more. Is that something we really want to see? What should Mercedes do? Mercedes should stop fucking whining, for God's sake. Oh, God, if this happens again, oh, I'm going to have to bring in team orders. Oh, do you know what? Fuck off. You're still winning. Yes. Don't give me this shit. They are, but you... 
they said they wanted a, a one-two finish. They got a one-four, which is still bloody good. Yeah, yeah, but if they hadn't crashed into each other, they would have got a one-four finish. A uh, one-two finish, excuse me. Yeah, but they're saying there's a, there's a thing. They're, they're now saying is a possibility of in the last ten laps of the race, we're going to make sure they don't overtake each other. Which do you know what? Watching Formula One, the most exciting bit is the end of the race where they're like, he's got five laps left to get him, everything's all everything's to play for. If they start going, oh, it's lap 60 of 70, everything's locked in, everything's fine, do you know what they can do? They can go swing. The problem is, is that with, uh, with uh, modern Formula One being so money-driven now, uh, Mercedes wants to make absolutely sure that they get as many points as possible and they win the team championship and they get all the cash. Of course because they do. Of course they, that's they what don't they give. I, I believe they genuinely don't really give a shit which driver wins as long as they have both cars as high up as possible and they get the most points for the team. Well, I like Nettie's point. Make them pay for their own cars and any repairs they need. So if they want to smash it up, that's totally That should fine. be a rule across Formula One because then you've got the pay drivers would have their blinged up cars <laughs> and you'd have the likes of Massa going, actually, I'm a bit short this month, so I'll just put a bit of gaffer tape on the wing. <laughs> what happens, though, if they have a non-fault accident? Are we going to... Uh, should we sort of start some sort of driver's insurance yeah. scheme where they're, that was they're covered if somebody else hits them? Because if... I, I, you know, I will give our opinions in a bit, but I happen to think that Rosberg was pretty much completely in the wrong. Should Lewis have to pay for his car after Rosberg ran in the side of him? Or should Pastor Maldonado's many victims be held accountable? I mean, the thing is, that actually, that would have changed the race result entirely because after the crash, they'd have both had to have stopped, exchanged details, <laughs> going, um, I, I have to deal with should this. There'd be a requirement in next year's uh, regulations for all cars that have glove boxes to keep their insurance yeah, details. Definitely, absolutely. <laughs> a little driver line that they have to call from their yeah, cell phones. Don't. V511, catchy, says that Toto should take their parents hostage until the end of the championships. Not I mean, that's sure quite what extreme. parents have got to do with it. Well, yeah. I mean, he's basically advocating the use of fear. It's like, if you crash into it again, Anthony Hamilton's going to get it. I'm or pretty Keke sure Rosberg's that both Nico and Lewis's parents have both split up, though. So it could, <laughs> yeah, but they're if, still alive. If nothing small. else, though, it would be an awkward, hi, Lewis, it's your mum here, um... Can you stop crashing into Nico? Because I really fucking hate your father. No, it doesn't mean he loves them any less. It just means, you know, they're in different places. Yes, true. Sorry. And Adrian Michael Reese says, whoever is ahead in the championship by the halfway point is given preferential treatment. No. Do you not reckon? I mean, it's the way Ferrari used to do things, wasn't it? But it wasn't even... They'd have a... a, I mean, he's basically suggesting that that at a halfway point of the championship, suddenly there's a number one and a number two driver. Do we really want to see that? The thing is, if... I can understand it if there's a chance that another team's driver can win the championship. So if Rosberg's in the lead a bit and, say, Hamilton's third and Vettel is close second in the championship... Mm -hmm. Then I can imagine giving Rosberg preferential treatment to make sure that Vettel doesn't overtake him in the championship. That kind of team order, I'm fine with. If they're one and two and way ahead of everyone else, then no, nothing. Well, I wonder if there's an argument that you could bring that in until, let's say for the sake of argument, with four races to go, Mercedes has the championship all sewn up, mathematically nobody else can beat them, and then they just go, right, have at it. Yeah, that would that work? That's fine. So you'd be happy with that if they said, right, for the next six races, team orders. Oh. Uh, I'm not sure. I think there's always going to be a problem here because it's the, the interest of the team versus the interest of the fans and the excitement on the track. Well, it's the classic problem with Formula One. We're never going to want 
that, are we? We always hear the team side. The teams care more about the constructors' championship, and no one else on the planet does. No one gives a shit who's the constructors' champion apart from the constructors. Tell us how wrong we are. You can tweet us at for F One's sake, or find us on Facebook where we're FF One S, or you can email us at wrong at ff one scom Okay, so let's move on to the teams. We'll start off with, of course, the big talking point of the weekend, Mercedes. From laps 1 to 70, I would give the race a 6 out of 10 for excitement. There was some uh, good overtakes, some alright driving, etc. But then, on the final lap, it was handbags out for our favourite bitches in Formula 1. Hamilton went to overtake Rosberg, who pushed him on the grass, and then Hamilton came back, as we said, and hit Rosberg, whatever happened. Toto Wolff was pissed off and he called the crash brainless and hasn't said which one he hates more. Everyone is talking about it, and there's going to be team orders maybe, Horner stuck his nose in, but for me, all of this means nothing until I've heard what Terry and Phil think. First thing I'll say is that on the coverage, you know when Toto Wolf did his kind of, fuck's sake, oh, banging the thing. Did, oh, this is the worst did anyone thing else, because the first time that they, they replayed it lots, when they kind of saw him like, we saw him punch the thing. Yeah. <laughs> when they showed it live, they only showed his hand kind of bouncing back up. And to me, it looked like he'd gone, yes. Because <laughs> his fist just went up. Yes. <laughs> I was like, so for the first, when it happened, I was like, Jesus, that's inappropriate. <laughs> and they were, oh, oh, I see. He's very good at the chat, though, isn't he? Afterwards, he was like, oh, no, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. not angry. Oh, yeah. No, no he was angry. He was, he was furious. furious. Don't try that on me. So, anyway, don't, don't dodge the subject. Whose fault was it? I put the blame pretty much 99% on Rosberg. I mean, you could, if you wanted to be really arsy, say he had the inside line, he can dictate when to turn, he can push him out wide, Hamilton's done it on several occasions before. But I would say in the, the previous, the, the obvious previous uh, incident being Austin last year, you could argue that Hamilton was pretty much on the racing line as he went round. Hamilton was also ahead on the inside. And yes, he did squeeze Rosberg out. It was a very robust move, but I, I would give Hamilton the benefit of the doubt on that one. On this one, Rosberg was so far away from the racing line. I mean, he was a billion miles away from the apex. He basically just drove straight. And if you're Hamilton, who was ahead of him on the outside, Hamilton, as he said in his interviews, gave him a ton of room and where he was with the, with a helmet on and the sort of the side bolsters on his car I don't think he could have seen where Nico was so he, I would imagine he gave him a ton of room went to turn in and then was probably quite surprised that Nico was there so I they, don't see any other way of they do both claim to be surprised but I don't see honestly how Rosberg could be surprised by that I thought it was well out of order Terry I would say that the biggest problem for me comparing it to Barcelona or Austin is they were first lap crashes, which is everyone's come off the grid, there's going to be a crash, you know, the first corner is important for the rest of the race, whereas the last lap of the race is kind of more settled. You know, I just, not to say that Rosberg shouldn't have gone gung-ho for it, but he, it's not the same thing. The coming off the line for the first lap of the race is different to overtaking on the last lap of the race, I think. And he did say um, that Hamilton caught him by surprise, but 
I mean, what did he, he expect? Gonna, what did he exactly. expect him to do? Just put her on behind. What, what I think, basically, what Rosberg did. This, I think, sums up Rosberg's temperament more than anything else. Is what Rosberg did is exactly what I do when I'm racing on the Xbox with with 12 year olds online, which is I screw up. Someone overtakes me, and instead of going, oh shit, someone's overtaken me, I just ran them off the track because <laughs> I'm a petulant, selfish child. Which, you know, if the cat fits, Nico. Hmm. <laughs> so, but who, who's, who's, whose fault do you think it was? Keke Rosberg. It's Keke should Rosberg's never have, fault. should never have encouraged him. <laughs> you should never have impregnated Nico's mother. Yeah, I just think, I just think Nico isn't cut out for Formula 1 racing. I mean, he's quite good at it, but I think he should just be doing something different with his life. He should be an investment banker. I watched Wolf of Wall Street the other week. Yeah. And, okay, there's a passing resemblance with Leonardo DiCaprio and Nico Rosberg, but I just, the whole way through, I just thought, do you know what? Nico Rosberg would make a great investment banker. He does speak a lot of languages and he's very suave. And he's got a lot of money. He's a bit soppy, you know? I reckon he'd be a pushover. Oh, you mean he's like, it's not fair. Yeah. What do you mean the LIBOR <laughs> rate changed? I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> okay. What do you think, Chica? What do I think? Oh, I think it was absolutely 100% Rosberg's fault after I heard what you guys said. <laughs> <laughs> Initially, no, though, no, when I you did, saw it, did, I did think, when absolutely. you watched it, did you think, oh, that's unfortunate, well, or did you go, what the hell is Rosberg doing? I did doing? think, because where else was Hamilton <clears throat> going to go when he was on the grass? Well, quite. Like, you know, he was going to go off and think, oh, do you know, it's not it. Rosberg tried to outmuscle him, and it just went woefully wrong, and he yeah, essentially punched himself in the face, like absolutely. that famous video of Tyson Fury trying to uppercut his opponent and literally just smacked himself in the face. <laughs> it was like that. Okay, all right. So despite the fact this has been the big talking point, there was a lot of other people in the race for a lot of other laps. Oh, were there? So let's go on to Red Bull. Now, as you know, I like to do reasons why you'd want to be Verstappen. Now, here's reasons why I think you'd want to be Verstappen after the Austrian Grand Prix. One, he passed his teammate with two fingers up. That's funny when you're 18. At the beginning of the race. Two, he was meant to have a two-stop race, but he showed his great tyre management skills and kept it at one. Three, he held off Raikkonen again. And four, now there is only 16 points between him and the driver that everyone was jizzing over last season, saying he's the next Vettel. And now let's think about reasons why you wouldn't want to be Ricardo. One, you spent most of the race trying to get past Button. Two, you spent most of the weekend looking like a pillock in traditional Austrian fireproof laser hose. Laser hose. Wow. Amazing. Three, the main picture of your disappointing weekend is a mildly sexist one. And four, it was your birthday. Now, if you were Christian Horner and you were only allowed one driver, which one would you drop? On the basis of performances so far, you'd have to say Ricardo. You'd drop? Well, you'd have to, wouldn't you? Verstappen's younger, has more potential, and isn't increasingly moany. I would drop uh, Verstappen. Really? Why yeah. on earth would you do that? Because I think he just needs, you know, he's got a lot of skill, he's got a lot of speed, he's got a lot of pace, but I think he needs some serious disappointment in his life to really buck him up. Look how, look how Gaviat's doing. It's really uh, shaped his personality. <laughs> well, it's, it's reshaped a lot of walls. He's yes. miserable as sin. Okay, what happens if there was a natural disaster? Which one would you want by your side and why? Ricardo, definitely. Because at least we could laugh about it. We could discuss tales of uh, things we've done. Mm-hmm. 
just with Verstappen, it would just be he just. I bet Verstappen can only talk about apexes. I bet that's his only point of interest. I is right. yeah, I think I'm going to go in fourth gear on this corner, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure, pretty sure I'm going to turn in late. Actually, yes, yes, I yes. Mean, for me. Uh, neither of them sort of strike me as sort of bare grills like you got to choose well I, I wait for it I'm explaining my reason you can't do that kind neither snog marry avoid no actually I wouldn't snog marry avoid any of them but I'm explaining my reasoning neither of them strike me as particularly bare grills like in their sort of terms of their survival skills of course not they're Formula so, 1 drivers exactly so I would take the one with the most meat on their bones so I would take Ricardo because Definitely. I think he'd provide more flesh to s- so sustain me. Can I just make a point here? So you're going to eat Ricardo? Yes. Right. If you and Ricardo were stuck, bearing in mind he is a supremely fit and quite strong Formula 1 driver, and you, a bit of meat on your bones, <laughs> I'm pretty sure Ooh. Ricardo would be eating you. <laughs> I... <laughs> <laughs> right, let's move on. On a wider question of which Formula 1 personality would I want to be with in a... In okay. a hor- louder. Mickey Lauda would be able to survive anything. Well, as proved by that fucking fire. <laughs> Did we come to a conclusion about During that the fireball, he was like, I bet there's some sponsorship opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. This is good. This will get me a red hat. Right. Okay, let's talk about McLaren. As always, let's look at McLaren's weekend from two angles. So first of all, Button threw his Zimmer frame to one side and had his best race in ages. But... Alonso's best moment was starting the car successfully. Button held on to second position for eight laps until others went past, which showed just how slow the McLaren cars are. Button started the race in P5, but he said he was hoping to be higher. Who have you been racing for for the past two years? Was the weekend just luck for Button? Yes. Uh, no. I'd say in qualifying, the mixed conditions... Mm-hmm meant that He's him good. and, for example, Hulkenberg as well, who we'll talk about later, uh, are good in mixed conditions. And so it means that there's less of a gap between the different cars. It's more about the driver. So that's why Button got where he was. You're saying they're better drivers because they're good at weather. They're very good in, in mixed conditions, which qualifying were, and it suited them to have those conditions, which is why they were so high up in qualifying. And in the race, I thought Button did really well, actually. I mean, there could be an argument that the type of circuit that Spielberg is suits the car but that doesn't sound very likely he didn't seem to a because McLaren Alonso Honda, didn't do that it was, well you know he, he went backwards but he still finished in sixth he beat the Williams beat the Force Indians because they all yeah, didn't he finish, did okay I mean the thing is I think he did very well I mean let's not forget he didn't actually qualify third he qualified fifth wasn't he well and then there even were so no no I was going to say but, so he only actually lost one so losing one place during the race is pretty mega he said to put his words three, but but he started P3 because Rosberg and Vettel had penalties. So he qualified fifth, then started third. But yes, yeah, so my point is he actually only lost one place during the race on aggregate. Based on his speed in qualifying. Yes. Okay. Which yeah, is very I, impressive for the McLaren. I think he should be very pleased with himself. I think that's the best drive he's had in ages. It, it appeared to me that he didn't really do anything wrong. So uh, what do you reckon is going to happen in Silverstone, <laughs> McLaren's home race? They're going to be he's incredibly gonna hope for rain. <laughs> but yeah, if there's rain, it's a different story. If Which it's is, dry, they'll be rubbish. It's ironic because I was checking the weather forecast today. There's a potential rain on Sunday, but not very likely. Which anyone who's been in Britain the last few weeks will know it's rained every single day torrentially for the last three months. And then on Sunday, the British Grand Prix day, it's probably going to be blazing sun. <laughs> okay, let's talk about Ferrari. Raikkonen was Happy birthday, birthday to you. Well, you can't well, do that for Ferrari and not... 
do that for Ricardo. Sorry, you're right, you're right. Oh, wow. Okay, Sorry. anyway, so Raikkonen was impressive. He was second by lap seven. Um, he caught up with one stopping Verstappen and reckoned he would have overtaken the Dutchman if it wasn't for yellow flags, well, I don't believe that. <laughs> but remember, he was outqualified by Force India and a McLaren. Now Vettel, he had a horrendous birthday weekend. Not only does he share it with Ricardo, who has a charming smile and everyone's got a soft spot for, but he had an exploding tyre, which meant for the third time this season, he hadn't managed to finish a race. To console him though, I read that he's bought himself a 32-piece art collection celebrating all of Formula One's world champions from across the years. This sounds like a midlife crisis. Is Ferrari having one? Ferrari have been stuck in a midlife crisis for about the last 10 years. They have... They're getting so bad, I think they've gone out and bought a Ferrari. That's... Ooh. <laughs> oh, I feel this whole tyre issue is a bit of a, a red herring. I feel this isn't actually a bad tyre choice. I'm pretty sure it was just a missed communication or a, a mixed communication. I'm pretty sure Peretti went, do you know what? We fucked up a bit with Vettel this year. He's pissed off with us for his birthday. How about we get a cake and then as you bring out the cake, uh, a woman explodes out of it and it'd be a great thing. And the guy writing down the message was a bit busy, preoccupied. He went, all right, yeah, yeah, we'll get the tire, we'll explode the tire, blah, blah, blah. So then, after the race, the guy goes, here's the surprise, and presses the button, tire explodes. And if you look at the footage carefully, there's just this woman flailing around. <laughs> She's dead now. Uh, <laughs> she got annihilated by Rosberg behind him. Yeah. And then Rosberg was just like, I didn't, I didn't hear her. <laughs> Well, that got bleed quick, didn't it? <laughs> uh, it? It was unfortunate for Vettel. Uh, it looked like he was going to have a reasonable weekend. They didn't seem to be as quick because it was colder on race day than it had been the rest of the weekend. Ferrari's advantage previously seemed to be that their, their newly upgraded car with some few new engine bits and whatnot seemed to be uh, really good at uh, and really good at looking after his tyres when it was hot. But it wasn't hot on the Sunday and it didn't seem to be quite as good and then, then his tie blew up and everyone's been sort of oh it's another Pirelli fiasco but it was one tyre Pirelli say it was because he ran over something I mean they would say that but I mean I give the blame to Ferrari here because like uh, we had a Facebook message from Jason Brennan who said slow-mo footage a lap before the failure showed Vettel's tyre looking poorly Moments before the explosion, my wife said, I can't believe he's doing another lap. His tyre would explode. How does my wife, who, judging by her car, knows nothing about looking after tyres... All right, Jason, let's not get into that. Get it so right, and the brains of Ferrari get it so wrong. Now, I would agree with that, because there was a definite, actual, high-definition slow-mo of his car having lots of bits flicking off the tyres. Yes, but wasn't that his front tyre? Yeah, but still, come on. You know, if you go, oh, God... My left shoe's wearing out. I better just buy a new left shoe. You go, do you know what? I'm going to shoot myself to a new well, pair no, front, of shoes. Well, no, front tyres and rear tyres on a Formula 1 car wear at very different rates. But if you still need a front tyre, surely at least they'd go, do you know what? That front tyre's a bit fucked. I mean, people, Let's have a look at the rear one. People did more laps on the same tyres than Vettel did when it's blue. Yeah, but I'm hearing that Ferrari, they're the hardest car on their tyres. Oh, really? Only when it's cold, though, because weren't they really good on their tyres all through the weekend until the race? Don't know, but I've, I've read that somewhere. <laughs> okay. Basically, Jason, your wife is wasted out of Formula 1. Jason, just get your wife to go to a race, and she can just be the woman that goes, piss up now. <laughs> They're like, why? This is not the right side of a strategy. Trust me, I feel it, I feel it. And uh, did anyone have a... 
a relation called Jennifer, because I'm getting a Jennifer. She says the money's in a safe place. <laughs> Sergio, if you're listening, you know what to do. Oh. Right, so Manor. Last weekend at the Austrian Grand Prix, Manor got a point, which will go down in history alongside unexpected events such as the Titanic sinking, the Spanish Inquisition, and managing to convince 51.9% of the UK that Europe is bad. What's Baku, interesting, though. Baku. <laughs> what's interesting, though, is in the last podcast, Mystic Terry said, Ooh. I reckon these guys could eat Frog Sauber and Renault at specific tracks. I thought I did the accents. No, but that was your voice. No, I'm going to do it. You can't do an impression of your own I voice. I can. I think I reckon these guys could leapfrog Sauber and Renault at specific tracks. So I don't plan to quote Terry loads in the future, but Terry, you were right. Yes! We saw Verline drive in the first Q2 of his career, do some quality overtakes, and at one point was in sixth. So, do you think that we could see more mana in Q2 and maybe Q3 in upcoming races? Maybe if the track suits them uh, and the conditions suit them. So you think it's all down to the track and conditions? Not. I mean, that certainly drivers. helped. Um, and the fact that a couple of other people had issues as well. But Verlein, I thought, did superbly well. And I believe I'm right in saying that if he'd have got the same time during Q2 that he'd got in Q1, he would have made it to Q3. Wow. And he did it on the super softs, not the ultra softs. He's impressive. It was very that impressive. Is good. And we've been, he's been, we, we've talked about this before. He's been sort of touted as the Wunderkind for a while. Mm. I mean, Harry Anto's done very well as well, so he's maybe not looked spectacular, but I've, I thought he did really well this weekend. But let's be honest, if we may, yes, he scored a point. That's very impressive. But he also drove to the wrong grid slot. There is that. <laughs> oh, but then he did a little reverse, and everyone thought he was going to get told off. But actually, it's all Nothing right. Nothing wrong with it. It's you fine. Can do it. Did you hear? Th- Expect to see a lot more of that in future races. The stewards. <laughs> Apparently, when... Right, we're not having that. You can't bloody reverse on the grid. That is dangerous. Right, what rule is it? Frank, what rule is it? I'll just look, Bob. Uh, they're the stu- Bob and Frank, the stewards. Yeah, yeah. Look at, and apparently, there's no rule against reversing in the, in the grid. Um, there will be by the next race. Yeah, there'll be a hastily rule in Biro. <laughs> rule 74.A, point C. There's no reversing on the... Because that's dangerous. Because the green flag was waving, so they could have put... He wouldn't have reversed into somebody, would he? No, but when he reversed, Mm -hmm. the guy... Because you know how it works, so they all park up. And the guy at the back runs across with the green flag to say, everyone's parked, Frank, we're good to go. (laughs) And then Charlie in the box presses the button that starts off Mm -hmm. the light. Well, the green flag guy was waving. So technically it was safe to start, and it was only because Charlie Whiting noticed him reversing and got really pissed off about yeah, it. Yeah. He was like, right, I'll wait for him to finish reversing, then I'll start the race, then I'm going to give him a bollocking and a penalty. And then he starts, so he delayed the race just because he saw it. If he hadn't have seen that, they could have been Do you think him he- revert. We always say, oh, that- oh, at the start of the race he went backwards. He could have literally been going backwards. What if he kept it in reverse? What if he was stuck in reverse and then went... Arr! All right, Williams. Now, I felt that Massa could have surprised us this weekend. And surprised is not a word you usually hear when talking about Williams. However, they were faffing in Q3. His new front wing meant that he started from the pits and a puncture meant an extra stop. Despite this, he got into the top 10 before he retired. Bottas hates rain and was almost overtaken by a manor. If you guys were both Claire Williams, both of you together, what would you be changing 
for Silverstone? I would be putting a lock on my door and I would be enjoying some me time because <laughs> I've got to be honest, Claire Williams gives me tingles. In a good way or a bad way? In a really good way. <laughs> like because in a because of, of her principal skills. She's very stern. She's quite sexy. I know that Frank Williams is her dad. It's the perfect... <laughs> <laughs> it's a triple threat. <laughs> Let's be honest. I'm not into this kind of thing, but I'd quite like her to tell me off. I feel that she'd be very good at turning someone off. I was, uh, I was once in the, uh, the press briefing that the team owners give at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix a few oh, years yes. ago. And I was standing in the back and I swear she was looking at me all the way through. You wish. I mean, you know, she's only are human. We, are we going to have a Formula One fantasies? She, she was there going, that guy's nose is bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> He's gorgeous. Right. Anything else to say about Williams uh, other than <laughs> nope. Claire Williams? No, nope, I think fit? we've pretty much covered my uh, opinion of the race. It was, it was a, another disappointing race for Williams. Mm-hmm. I mean... Force India made them look a bit rubbish, even though Force Indias didn't finish. But while they were running, Force Indias were, were better. Yeah. Well, uh, let's talk about Force India then. Good plan. Um, so Segway. I don't know what they have or haven't been sacrificing, but the gods were not on Force India's side this weekend. And yes, I decided they were probably pagans. On Saturday, it looked like we were going to see Hulkenberg on the podium by the end of the weekend holding that trophy high. Instead, on Sunday, both Force India drivers were holding those three letters, D and F. Was it driver or strategy error that caused this carnage, please? I would say that should be a policy that when a driver retires, he has to have a picture taken holding up the letters D and F. <laughs> like, like in prison. Well, no, you know, like when they win and they have that big team photo and they have like all the Mercedes cars, the, all the mechanics are out and they're going, well, it says Yay! Hulk P1 or something. Yeah, yeah, they should have that. They should have all the mechanics, like, especially if he crashed out, all the mechanics like pointing, going, wanker. <laughs> A <laughs> picture of shame. Yeah, DNF, dunce hat on. Well, like the way they make them all line up before the race in front and do the national anthem. They should, they sh- yeah, there should be compulsory post race pictures. I like that idea. Like That's mug good. shots. Definitely. This is a brilliant idea. Deal. Uh, it was it was disappointing, really, wasn't it? Uh, after Hulkenberg did exceedingly well in qualifying, and everyone was, was like, "That's a flash amazing!" Of the old Hulkenberg. It was Hulkenberg the one that, that got would do when that. it was at, um, Williams. Uh, Williams. That's right. He got oh. was it pole he got at uh, Brazil got, a few years ago. I think he did. Yeah. It was uh, it was like that again, and then he, I, I mean, not almost in in a Verlinian fashion, went backwards from the start. <laughs> he really did. Uh, apparently, he couldn't get his tyres to to work, no matter which ones they used. Uh, then he got a penalty for speeding in the pit lane. Then his brakes failed and he retired. I mean, I that, that pit lane was his fault. Can I just check this? So the speeding in the pit lane thing, was that when they went through under the safety car after Vettel? That's, I don't know. I think Chica? it was. I don't know. <laughs> Thanks, Chica. I don't know. I think it was. Because I think, because you know, because Vettel's car tyre thing was on the main straight. Mm-hmm. So when the safety car was in, they were bringing him through the pits. And I think it was then he speeded. God, so you're speeding under a safety car through the pits. Oh, yeah, but that is that's the worst kind of speeding. Yeah. But I reckon when you're under the safety car, you think, I won't bother putting the limiter on because we, no way are we going quick enough. Because, you know, I went 30 miles an hour this week. And <laughs> I tell you, it could have been 60 in my head because it was terrifying. <laughs> so you should be there going, there's no way we're going quick enough to pass the pit lane speed limit. So you didn't bother turning it on. That's my guess. Or you probably thought it's not on the rules. It's so complicated. We're under a safety car. We can't speed in the pit lane because we're going under a safety car. That's very confusing. The fact that he got done for speeding, and ironically, his brakes failed, as did Perez's. Well, it Perez's was just a- brakes failed as the Lewis and Rosberg show was yes. happening. Because I thought, 
it was very confusing because there was a double yellow flag. Did did Lewis overtake Nico on the double yellow? Yeah, I, I thought blah, they were blah, yellow blah. flagging because Rosbo's car was exploding. I thought they were the most efficient marshals ever. It's like I hadn't even noticed. They're like waving the flags, but yeah. no, Perez had gone off. They actually have um, in Austria. There's a competition, and you can be the one to wave the checkered flag. No. Yeah. That would be amazing. Would you just not wave it? Uh, no, I'd wave it on like lap 40. Because <laughs> I think actually the rules are once the checkered flag's been waved, the race is over. So it doesn't matter what you think. If the competition winner says right. race is over, then the race is legally over. There could be a legal challenge in court afterwards. Okay. Anyway, yeah, uh, Force India looked a really good to start with. Mm-hmm. Ultimately disappointing. Okay, let's talk about uh, a team that looked bad through the whole thing. So, Toro Rosso. There were some really bad moments of Toro Rosso in Austria. Signs really needs to sort out his Saturdays, and Kvyat should have stayed in bed. What went wrong for the team? Well, I would say that Kvyat has not had a good year. <laughs> well, it started off all right. Yeah. It started off all right. And then he got demoted. <laughs> but he got demoted by Red Bull, and he's trying to live with it. He's probably had some therapy. He's probably <laughs> trying to come to terms with it. And then he's gone to the track that is owned by Red Bull, and that very track basically vomited him into the barriers saying you disgust me (laughs) and just like puke into the barriers but it's like just because they put these stupid curbs up these stupid what are they stupid are they stupid well okay let's have that discussion curb debate time sausages baguette gate baguette gate (laughs) sausage gate sausage curb now we say we say um, curb bit Curb your enthusiasm. Uh, I posted like, that on Twitter and nobody liked or retweeted it. Oh, cracks it. Yeah. Curb it. it curb it the frog. Game. Curb it the frog. I, fe- I feel we. I fear like Kvyat, we're getting off track. Okay. <laughs> so for anyone that didn't, that has no idea what we're talking about, the track owners, i.e. Red Bull, put up some extra little big yellow curbs. One a big long sausage thing and others little sort of baguette style things that completely annihilated everybody's suspension that went over them. Drivers didn't seem too happy about it. What do we think? Brilliant. They are absolutely brilliant. Because obviously the idea is to stop people from using the entire going way off track to Mm. get more speed. The only issue with them is is that they had Friday and Saturday they were going all over the place fucking their cars up crashing out and qualifying all this kind of stuff but then on Sunday they all went right we've learned those those things are a bit too uh, they're there so you're not going to so no one yeah. no one damaged the car on Sunday so I think what they should do is not have them Friday, Saturday surprise and then curbs. Sunday morning <laughs> surprise curbs surprise curbs <laughs> like pop up curbs yeah like when the bus oh. the bus lane curbs yes so instead of a safety car you'll be like right we've put some curbs up but do you oh. know what we're not even painting them yellow they're kind of track colour <laughs> They should do. They should do a thing where, you know, like uh, in the middle of town where there's there's bus lanes and they have the bollards that come yep. up. Is that what you're referring to? Yes. They should do that, but one car, voted for by the fans, gets the little transponder that lets them go down. So instead of fan boost, it'd be fan bollard. <laughs> bollard. That doesn't work. So Joe at Smelly Student. Good Twitter name. Mm-hmm. Says treat them like barriers and don't hit them. Seems simple to me. Yep. Yeah, I agree yep. entirely. Agreed. Perfect. Leighton Brown says, the more severe, the better. See that flat black bit of asphalt drivers? That's where you race on. The rest is exceeding it. I mean, yeah, you know, they can't put walls there for safety, but it should be the point. You know, that, 
that's the end of the track. If you hit these, it'll fuck your car up. Maybe they should have razors on them. Or they should uh, they should have like a taxation system. <laughs> if you hit them, you have to pay regular people's tax and not Formula One driver tax. Uh, okay, all right. Corbin. Let's move on to Haas. Hey, is. Hey, yes. Uh. Remember that time where Haas were good? Well, Austria reminded us of a time where Haas were more than just a bad team with a weird name. Gutierrez was 0.6 seconds off of the points and Grosjean's tyre strategy worked perfectly with the safety car. And it really helped that Perez crashed. Before we get onto the hypothesis, can you explain what anti-stall is, please? Which is what Gutierrez had at the beginning, which messed up his race. It's, it's just a device that if you bugger up your getaway as you would in a normal car let's say you know when you stall a normal car you let the clutch up too fast and you don't give it enough revs and it stalls Can it's I just something that stops it doing that but essentially resets the car for a second and means that it, you've got to wait for it to sort of re reset itself before it'll go can i interrupt here no. after you finish <laughs> um so on my driving lesson last week i was coming up to a giveaway line and he said Break the car, so I put, well not break the car, you know, done that before. So I slowed down, put the brake down, put the clutch down all the way to the floor, and then did something, pulled the clutch up too quick, and the car stalled. Uh. Now, so if I had anti-stall on that car, what would have happened? It would have sort of itself restarted <laughs> the car, but it would have taken a second. So, you know, you can't get a really so fast getaway. So, so when you're at a giveaway line and there's nothing behind you, fine, a bit yeah. embarrassing. When you're at the start of a Formula One race, yeah, well, it's not because because the problem with Formula One cars is not like they've got a key where you can just restart the ignition. If you if if the car properly stalls, you have to have somebody come along with an electric starter, which they plug into the back, and that's how they start them up. That is, I believe, unless they've changed that in recent years. So they because you know a starter system carries weight which you don't want so it's external so they start the car up and then off they go so the last thing they want is for the car to stall because then the driver would have no way of getting it going again so there's a device specifically to stop that happening right let's talk about Renault my theory is these guys have given up they've realised that they're not great their car colour decisions were horrendous their races were well wait this is my theory okay listen to my theory their race suits look like fruit <laughs> and they keep telling themselves that things will be better in 2017. Magnussen was last at one point, he kept blocking Verline and Palmer wasn't terrible but just breaking the rules. Now if you were driving a Renault, would you put much effort in? Yes, right. absolutely. I would put more effort in than ever. I would weave all over that track and have Jonathan Palmer as my dad. These guys are terrible. <laughs> Fuck that. I just, just give up. Why do they bother? Just... I, if I was Jocelyn Palmer, I would probably just get my mate to drive for me and i just go and meet my girlfriend or something. I Not must, that he's got a girlfriend. <laughs> I must take issues with you about the car colour. I think the car looks great. Okay. It's just not very fast. We've always said that, the, that this year for Renault is a, is a, is a, is a gap year. While they try and... Because they've inherited a, a car from Lotus with a different engine. Uh, it was never going to be particularly good. I believe I'm right in saying they've pretty much given up trying to develop this year's car and they're focusing on next year's, yeah. as have Williams, apparently. If it really was a gap year, I prefer just to see some kind of some kind of Somali... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, some kind of... Somali? What kind of gap year did you have? <laughs> no, some kind of, like, Somali uh, township where you've, the, the Renault car just turns up in the middle because, like, for a gap year, they're working on a charity... 
I'm not sure there's that many charities working in Somalia, are there? It's a bit dangerous. I don't Shows know. Shows what I know about charities. I never had a gap year. Well, technically, actually, I did. I had. I left school when I was 16, and then I did a degree when I was 30. 30. <laughs> so quite. I had quite a gap, gap year. Decade. I was in Somalia for 12 years. <laughs> Sauber. Considering he was driving one of the worst cars there, and that includes the nearby car parks, NASA was impressive. They got the strategy right. He made the soft tyres last forever, and despite starting on the back row, spent a lot of time in the top ten. I really struggle with anything to say about Ericsson. His tyres were bad, but his hair was good. Sauber are getting an engine update for Silverstone. Could we see these guys moving away from the back of the field? You'd hope so, but I don't know. They're just... I had a really depressing moment this week where I was watching an old... On, on the Sky coverage, they showed an old... I think it was a 2008 Italian Grand Prix where Vettel won. And it was when it was Kubica... 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 Rob. Robert. Um, in the BMW Sauber, and he was like third or fourth or something. And I was just like... It's like, I know this, but I'd forgotten how good Sauber were momentarily. I mean, they won a race. When they had manufacturer backing. When they had manufacturer backing and an amazing driver, they were really up there. And I just like, because it's been such a slow decline, I'd kind of forgotten that. And I watched that and was just like, oh, that's really sad. It is sad. There there might, however, uh, relatively breaking news, there might be some good news at Silverstone, apparently, according to Joe Saywood, proper F1 journalist who reckons... Uh, that there might be word about Peter Sauber selling his shareholding in the team to somebody else, which they might announce this coming weekend. Ooh. Which might mean that there's some more money to play with and they can develop the car. Woo! Because it would Go be Sauber. nice to see. It is a shame to see a team that's been around since, what, 1990, something like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, in such dire straits. Yeah, because I felt we give them a hard time because they're rubbish and they're shit, and deservedly so. But at the same time, we shouldn't give them a hard time because they've got history. But really, they should be better. Well, I mean, if we, if we didn't give them a hard time, we'd be really short on content. So true. Well, if, it feels a bit sad because they've, you know, they're struggling on with not much budget. Whereas we give Honda, uh, McLaren, Honda a hard time, and they've got loads of money, so they deserve it. Right. Let's move on to the standings. Ooh. Okay, everybody, uh, I've updated the standings for the Austrian Grand Prix. In first place in the championship is, I'm not good with my lefts and rights, with 153 points. Second place, awkward, 142 points. Third place, what happened? How am I on the podium? 96 points. Fourth place, on Peretti's birthday, I'm getting a turd on their doorstep. Fifth place, I'm starting to feel like David Miliband. I don't remember who that is. Do you want to explain who David Miliband is for our foreign listeners? Okay, uh, imagine Ed Miliband, it's his brother. Right, sixth place. hoser makes me feel funny, like when I used to climb the rope at gym class, 72 <laughs> points. Seventh, try just to keep smiling, 54 points. Eighth, wee, 39 points. Ninth, I registered on monster.co.uk this morning. <laughs> That's massa. Uh, tenth, I was watching the football, 28 points. Eleventh, I had other plans this week, 22 points. Twelfth, Formula E looks fun. That's caveat. <laughs> Uh, 13th I could live with Groundhog Day if it was Saturday 14th place but he's shit 15th I'm having such fun 16th I was weaving so much I was making a basket 17th <laughs> Stoffel Ruffle with a point and in 18th place I've scored my first point and now Terry's going to have to come up with another name each fucking week <laughs> one point now for the Constructors Championship this week because it's been a very political time in Britain I've decided to see who all these teams would be if they were politicians 
So, in first place, Bernie Sanders with his silver hair. Yeah. Nice. 295 points. Second place, Jeremy Corbyn. Very red. Very red. <laughs> Third place, Tony Blair. Quite new, fairly smarmy. Fourth place, Tony Benn. Old and traditional and mostly dead. Fifth place, Boris Johnson. Does really well on one day and then disappears on the next. Sixth place, Hillary Benn. Offspring of a better thing. Seventh place, Michael Gove, good on paper. Not Ooh. really, actually. I wouldn't say he's good on paper. He's I'm not sure cup. he's good anywhere, is he? Eighth place, Donald Trump, the American team. <laughs> Ninth place, Hillary Clinton. Been around for ages and related to a previous success with the same name. <laughs> and in tenth place, Nigel Farage, get off my manor. <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs> Thank you. And now, the state of F1. <laughs> okay, so, the state of F1 as follows. After the European Grand Prix, there was an FIA sport conference in Turin where Alain Prost spoke of one of my favourite shit things about Formula One, all of what we see. His beef with the TV coverage was that it makes everything look kind of rubbish. Here's a quote. Actually, can other of you do a French accent? I can try if you like. Please. (laughs) Yes, I want that. Yeah, that. that, the whole way through. Everybody told me when they got back to the track that... You sound American. (laughs) (laughs) That's uh-huh. David Bowie. Uh-huh. Everybody told me. I was me. just pissing was back. Was it, was it? <laughs> Everybody told me when they got back that the track was one of the best tracks that they had ever seen. Zut but on TV, if I am Alain Prost, the old racing driver, or if I am a fan for the first time looking at the show, I am not happy. I think the position of the cameras was not very good. It was really not a good show. Only in one corner, the left-right fast corners at the end of the lap, did the cars look okay and you got the impression of the speed. Uh, thank good. you. Alan Merci, au revoir. The main problem with the people filming and making a TV coverage of Formula 1 is they're at the track, so they have no idea how much of the atmosphere doesn't make it down the wires to our tellies. For one, the cars don't look very fast, really, do they? That sweeping shot they love to use of the cars coming down the long straight towards us is amazingly beautiful, and I'm sure in the bar afterwards everyone tells the director how that bit brought them to tears and should win an Oscar. But the problem is, showing the cars from a distance getting closer is not the best angle to show speed. In fact, it's the worst one. The only way to make the Formula 1 coverage look quick is to watch the GP2 or the Formula E coverage, because they're really fucking slow. (laughs) Formula 1 coverage is undeniably high definition and technical and beautiful, but over the years they've lost something that makes it look terrifying. At Baku, they were well over 200 miles an hour, but it looked like they were just pootling around. Compare that to an old in-cockpit Senna lap around Monaco and it's hard not to grip your mouse as he avoids the barriers. Why? Because for one it looks like the camera is about to be wobbled off the car and it keeps cutting out like the car is moving too fast or it's just the camera is just so scared it keeps shutting its eyes. But don't worry, I have a solution. One, this is a twofold solution. One, make the technology shitter. Just as everyone's going to virtual reality and everything, right? Sod that. Go back to 1980s cameras when everything looked nostalgically hazy and shit. Get rid of all the whizzy cables and cranes and let the fans get closer to the track. And this is the second thing. If we stop having the barriers so far away, because frankly, Formula One's pretty safe these days. It's fine. No one's going to die. Move the barriers a lot closer and then have a special ticket where the fans are allowed to go right up to the track on the proviso that they film it with their camera phones, but if a car crashes, they're not allowed to get out of the way, otherwise they have to pay the ticket twice, or die. <laughs> that would make the, the footage we get amazing. 
because do you ever see that thing where on the, the on the day after the race they're like here's some fan footage of the start and it's like the cars look a bit quicker on a camera phone because they're all they're at a static angle and they're just whizzing by we'll do that but right up against the track on the track get the fans on the track with a camera phone that will make the footage brilliant the downside of that, yep. as with all fan footage shot at Formula One races, is the Formula One management pulls it down off YouTube within 24 hours. Well, there's going to have to be a change shit. at the top. Formula One management are going to have to admit that if a fan has made it onto the track, <laughs> we're allowed to see what they film. Because you know, can you the, imagine if that mad priest at Silverstone 20 years ago had had a camera? But no, great footage. You say that, but do you remember? Was it Singapore last year when oh, they were yes. on the track? He was filming. And oh, I said never at the time, seen it, have we? I want to see what he bloody filmed because that would have been a that car would have looked fucking quick if they he was were. on the track and Vettel zooped past. They do have a camera on the car though, don't they? Behind the drivers. Yeah, they usually have a few. I like the That's ones down. Uh, I like the ones down on the bottom of the front wings. I think they look quite cool looking yep. forward because the lower you are to the track, the faster it looks. And in fairness to them, although I do pretty much entirely agree with you, there are a few shots in in a couple of races each year that look brilliant. I'm thinking of the left right at the swimming pool in Monaco yep. that looked that awesome is, yeah, they had there was one shot at Baku on the really fast straight where it sort of has a kink on the straight and they were going again it's when they show them when they change direction maggots and beckets at Silverstone yep. always looks really cool but mostly I agree with you they, they focus too much on getting the sponsors in the background rather than exactly and it's like the change in direction is a good one and also on a straight we should be a static camera if you had a static camera that just saw them zip by well, just a speed camera. Have one of those terrible, like, big yellow speed cameras on a motorway. Or one of those things that says your speed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Surely with today's modern technology, there's ways of making it sexier. Yeah. Get Alan Prost to do it. Hello. So that is it from us. It is goodbye to Phil Tromans. Goodbye, everyone. We have not had time to talk about Red Bull's new car. Not their 2017 Formula One car, but the new car that they've been developing with Aston Martin, which I think I mentioned had been announced a few months ago. They just unveiled it today on the day of us recording the podcast. It looks batshit mental. In a good way? In a very good way, indeed. How does it look batshit mental? It looks like a sort of cross between a a (laughs) Formula... It's designed by Adrian Newey. Uh, It's basically been designed to go as fast as possible. It's made entirely of carbon fibre. It looks like a cross between like a Le Mans prototype and a Formula One car, except it's going to be road legal. And it'll cost about £3 million. And it only starts if you put your erection into a hole in the dashboard. (laughs) And to Terry Saunders. We haven't had time to talk about the thrilling end to the Formula E Championship that nearly got decided by a fastest lap. It's an amazing rule where you get two points a race for the fastest lap and it was against Bohemi and Degrassi. They were like, the, in the last race, they were going up against, you know, they had the most points, you know, in like in a championship situation. And Degrassi got punted out on the first lap and his race was over. But I think he went back, changed into his other car and then did a bunch of really fast laps because if he could have got the two points, he'd have won the championship. Oh, that's actually brilliant. Yeah, so he did a couple of blazing laps, and then Buemi just went on and did a lap that was like a little bit faster, and it was like one lap left, and so Degrassi had gone back to the pits to charge up, like, plug his car in to have like one last shot at it. It was amazing. That's and actually tremendous. Stupidly complicated, like weird, but They should funny. bring this into F1. Can you imagine if it goes down? So, like, you've, you, you know, you realise you're only going to finish, like, ninth. Can you imagine Brazil 2008? 
Yeah, okay. and, and Massa, you know, Massa, you know, Hamilton suddenly realizes for whatever reason he's not going to get past Glock. Instead of trying, he goes back to the pits, puts on ultra softs, dumps most of the fuel out of his car, and then just hammers it around for three laps to try and get the fastest lap. This part is supposed to be things you didn't have time for, not things I quite want to add now. Ooh. Just saying, guys. We just have saying. had time. All right, we fine. Are, we are Goodbye, very, everyone. Very we are going to talk about Chris Evans going for Top Gear. <laughs> we'll be back next week for the British Grand Prix. Woo. Until then, tell your friends about the show, rate us, listen to it again, warn your family about the swearing, and help us find more listeners. I've been Chikarez. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Podcast Network.